All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about what is going on in Ukraine. And let's uh, start things off with uh, a Politico article. Let me pull it up here. With the title, White House Anxiously Watches Ukraine's Counteroffensive, Seeing the War and Biden's Reputation at Stake. I think the title pretty much sums up what uh, the story is about and what we're going to talk about. But uh, in the article, uh, towards the end of the article, they talk about not only the importance of the, the counteroffensive, but they also talk about Biden's next moves with Ukraine with regard to NATO membership, or if they can't uh, push the NATO membership through, then they talk about security guarantees. So um, I think that's a good segue once we're done talking about this political article to then talk about the uh, statements from the ex-NATO Secretary General about Ukraine's membership into the alliance or providing Ukraine with security guarantees. We are being uh, walked into a world war. Yes. I'm I'm now, I'm, I'm coming to the belief that we are being... We're being led into a world war, and uh, I don't see anybody pulling any any country in the collective West pulling us back. And I actually believe that Russia is is prepared for this. I mean, they understand where this is heading, and they've made the preparations to deal with this. Anyway, um, let's start with Politico, and then we can segue into uh, Ukraine and NATO and the statements from the the ex. Uh, NATO Secretary General. Well, I, I think it's very simple. I mean, what the article is basically telling us, and it clearly is well sourced from within the administration, is that White House, Biden, all of these people are getting cold feet because the offensive, the Ukrainian offensive, has been launched and it's not going well. I mean, they, they, we've had reports now from other officials in the uh, US who are saying that. Russian resistance has been fiercer than expected, that Ukraine is suffering heavy losses. Now, you know, if you follow the events on the battlefronts and to to the level of detail that we've been doing, this is absolutely correct. This is, in fact, what's happening. I mean, Ukraine is, again, bashing on on the wall, trying to break through. Uh, Yesterday, we got conclusive confirmation that Leopard 2 tanks had been used in the fighting by Ukraine in southern Zaporozhye. And it's been, there's been scepticism about this up to now, but anyway, we now saw them. They're on fire. They didn't last very long. They, Ukraine has failed to achieve any sort of breakthroughs, either in the Zaporozhye region, where they've been attacking, or in Donbass, where they've also been trying to counterattack around Bakhmut and other places. And unsurprisingly, given how much... This administration has now invested in this whole Ukraine project, going all the way back to February 2022 and before, because to a great extent, as we have said, they brought it about. They refused to negotiate with the Russians on uh, European security. They refused to rule out NATO membership for Ukraine. They seem to have been encouraging Ukraine to launch its attacks on Donbass. They... Apparently, well, apparently they assumed that the sanctions would crater Russia's economy. None of that has worked out. And so now they're getting worried that this offensive isn't going well. 
and they're starting to they're starting to get very concerned and panicking and they don't have a simple exit strategy now we've discussed this many times i mean there's some people who say let's try and find some kind of way of freezing the conflict but the russians as we've discussed in previous pro programs, are not interested in freezing the conflict in the way that the United States might be happy to freeze the conflict, with bits of Ukraine, former Ukraine, under Russian control, but the rest of it rearmed and incorporated in NATO. So what we're getting now is talk. And I think we need to be we need to understand what this talk is because they're linking it to Ukraine being given a pathway to NATO. But nobody expects Ukraine to be able to join NATO formally until this war is ended in at least some form. So they're not talking about they're not really talking about a freeze any longer because I think they've started to understand that the option of a freeze might not be there. What they're now talking about is inserting troops. And they are not saying this themselves in the United States, where it might be particularly controversial. They put up Anders Fogh Rasmussen, who is, of course, a highly hawkish, neocon-minded former Secretary General of NATO, um, even more uh, hawkish and uh, hardline than Jens Stoltenberg um, is, which is says, saying something. He's now openly floating the possibility. We're now moving on to plan B, which is to insert Polish and East European troops into Ukraine. But of course, that crosses one red line, but it leads ultimately in one direction, which is a direct intervention by NATO in the conflict in Ukraine. And when I say NATO, I mean the armed forces of the United States. I mean, this is where this is going now. It is going there step by step by step. So they said, firstly, it would only be light weapons, javelins and stingers. Then they said it would be, it would basically stop at the HIMARS. Then we got the HIMARS and the M777s. Then we got the Patriot missiles. Then we got the tanks. Soon we're going to have the F-16s. Now we're going to get ground troops. And before very long, we're going to get American ground troops, all in conflict with Russia, a nuclear superpower. Some people in the United States are clearly worried. General Milley, in his usual evasive, Delphic way, has just done a commentary. He's, he's done a speech, a lecture. He's given a lecture in which he said that the world today is more complicated and more difficult to manage than it was in the past because previously during the Cold War we had two superpowers, the Soviet Union and the United States. Then we had a period where the United States was the sole superpower. Now we have three superpowers, America, Russia and China. Now, the key point that Milley is making is that he acknowledges that Russia is a superpower. So that's, that's his admission. It's... The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is saying that Russia is a superpower. And yet, some people are leading us into straightforwardly into a superpower war. Now, I take Milley's lecture as, again, his attempt to give warnings. 
But as Milly always does, you get the sense that he understands the risks, but he's too afraid of angering the neocons and the president by um, expressing them straightforwardly. I, I fear that, that the U.S., what they're doing, the neocons, is they're going to push the destruction of Europe in some sort of war with Russia so that they can, they can hold on to, to their hegemony. And yeah, they, they, they may insert, Americans will go to fight. I just don't know in what numbers. But the security guarantees, I mean, I, I read a report uh, this, this morning which claims that um, Biden, Schultz, and Duda are going to be meeting in Paris to discuss Ukraine, NATO. But more than that, they're going to discuss the security guarantees that they're going to be providing to, to Ukraine. I, I, just, I just want to ask you, what, is, what do they mean? They're, they're not telling us what they mean with the, with the whole words, the, the narrative, security guarantees. I mean, what, is, is Poland going to sign a bilateral agreement, Poland, Germany, and uh, France, are they going to sign an agreement with Ukraine, with the Zelensky government, which states that if, uh, if you're in conflict, we are obligated to also join that conflict? I mean, is this what we're talking about now? Because yes. if that is the case, then yes, we are looking at, at, at a world war that's, that's formulating. And the neocons are... Are, are nudging Europe towards the towards the rocks. You know, Europe's a ship, and they're nudging Europe towards those rocks to smash into the rocks. Yes, the rocks are Russia, but that's where they're taking us. That's exactly where they're taking us. But can I just make an absolutely straightforward point? If the idea is, and the theory of this is, that you know, you send Polish troops, because realistically, it can only be Polish troops. That's why Duda is there, by the way. I mean, Schultz and Macron are important because. They're the major continental power, but it is it's, the reason Duda is there is because it will be Polish troops which will which will be sent into Ukraine to do to do the fighting. But Poland is no is in no condition to take on and defeat Russia. Many of its best troops have already gone to fight the Russians in Ukraine, and Ukraine is losing. And with those Polish troops, many, Ukraine, uh, Poland has already given away much of its best military equipment to Ukraine, and it has been burnt up. So Poland can't defeat Russia by itself. So, and that applies, by the way, to the other European members of NATO. To give an example, Russia is producing 200,000 rounds of ammunition a month, artillery ammunition a month. The United States has managed to get up to about 20 or 30,000. The whole of the EU can only manage 4,000 rounds of ammunition a month. They don't have the means to take on the Russians by themselves. Um, they would have to completely transform their entire military, uh, economic and social systems and create a kind of war economy to do that. And I, I, I don't think there's the time to do that. So ultimately, if these countries give these guarantees uh, to Ukraine and their troops are committed to Ukraine 
And the Russians don't recognise those guarantees. In fact, they see those guarantees not as guarantees of Ukraine's security, but as a threat to themselves if they continue their special military operation. And they're saying they will do so up to the point where its objectives are achieved. And that looks to me incompatible with the sort of security guarantees that Biden and the administration are talking about. Then, realistically... If the military position in Ukraine is going to hold, because it's now clear Ukraine can't win this war by itself, as I said, the East European countries of NATO can't win this war either, France, Germany, probably Britain wouldn't be in a position to fight the Russians by themselves. Inexorably, inevitably, it's going to draw in the United States. I can't see how logically it can do otherwise. What does that mean, drawing in the United States? Well, President Biden himself explained it. He explained it um, way back, I think, in, uh, was it March, when he went to Warsaw? He said if American soldiers and Russian soldiers are fighting each other, we're in World War Three. Does it stay contained in Ukraine, or does it get broadened out? Well, this is what the Biden people will be hoping. But if we get into a situation where Russian troops are fighting... Hoping that it's contained in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah hoping it's contained. In, absolutely. Yeah. They, hope it, they hope it will be. But um, American troops in Ukraine. Yeah, no, but I mean... I mean is that, it, I'm just trying is, to... Is that, is that realistic? understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. American troops fighting in Ukraine, but you try and contain it all in Ukraine. Is that realistic? Is that a viable option? Would the American people support a war? in which American soldiers are sent to Ukraine to fight there by themselves in that kind of way. I mean, given that, as Millie says, Russia today is a superpower, surely Russia will try to um, take action against those troops. What if those troops start to lose? What if the Russians start shooting down American fighter jets? What if they start attacking bases in Europe from which those American fighter planes are operating? How do you contain a war like this? And of course, there's the other superpower, ultimately, perhaps, potentially, in a war situation, the most powerful superpower of all, which is China. What if China, which is now in de facto alliance with Russia, they've just held joint exercises They've just had joint uh, exercises. Today, just today, the, ch the chief of the general staff of the Chinese army had a video conference with the chief of the general staff of the Russian army, General Gerasimov. General Gerasimov, we're told, is on the front lines, but he's taken time off to speak with his opposite number in Beijing. That gives you some idea of how close the relationship between China and Russia now has become. What if the Chinese say, well, you know, if the Russians are fighting the Americans, well, this is our opportunity to strike at Taiwan. It's one option, one possibility. Or what if they say, if our, the Russians, our allies, are going to be in difficulties, we can't afford to let them lose any more than the United States, or at least the Biden administration. Let's not talk about the United States. Let's talk about the Biden administration. The Biden administration can't afford to lose in Ukraine. So what if the Chinese say, well, we need to support our Russian friends. We're not going to send our own troops, but let's start 
making tanks and shells and aircraft and missiles for them. We have an industrial capacity that is bigger than that of the United States, Europe and Japan combined. We can outproduce anything they do. And we can probably do that without even breaking a sweat. What, what, what then? I mean, these are disastrous scenarios. And the fact that we have these kind of articles in Politico, the fact that these crazy ideas from people like Rasmussen are being talked about, um, all I can say is that what that shows is what a catastrophic series of decisions those were which brought us to this point. An earlier generation of American leaders would never have allowed either themselves or the United States to find themselves here. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, we're, we're back to where we started with this conflict, which is Ukraine into NATO. It's unbelievable. A year and a half into this, and we're right back to the same uh, Ukraine-NATO deadlock. Yes. Which, which is so simple to solve. Yes. Ukraine does not enter NATO. So simple. It's beyond brain-dead simple. Uh, what, um, what about Iran? Well, what about Iran? I mean, Iran, I mean, all of these countries, I mean, you know, they, they are probably both pleased at one level and worried because, of course, the United States now concerned about where this war is going, worried about perhaps now going to become... Um, absorbed in the conflict in Ukraine, gives Iran political space. <laughs> and it isn't just Iran. I mean, we, apparently we have the Saudis. I mean, there's no talk that MBS is going around ridiculing Biden all the time within Saudi Arabia. There's a report that he's now, that he's been uttering threats in private to the US that if uh, US takes any action, uh, against Saudi Arabia, the Saudis will react in a way that will hurt the U.S. economy. So all of these countries, they'll be looking at this, they'll be saying to themselves, well, the United States is distracted, it's absorbed in Ukraine, so let's advance our own interests, let's press on with whatever it is we want to do, let's build up our regional alliances, let's develop our reserve currencies, let's do all of these things. But at the same time, they will be extremely concerned. They will be very worried because they will say to themselves, the United States is out of control. It's risking World War III with another nuclear superpower. <laughs> we don't we gain from World War III either. We have a situation where we're going, we could easily find ourselves uh, you know, swept into this as well, into this nuclear maelstrom as well. And I can't help but think that there will come a point, assuming we don't actually find ourselves in you know, a disastrous situation in nuclear exchanges, when the world community will start to come together and they'll start to tell the United States, look, this has gone too far. You have got to stop this. You're not getting international support anymore. You could start to see shifts in voting in the General Assembly at the UN, which would be a political humiliation for the United States, you could start to see all that going to happen. And, of course, all of these countries probably will be quietly backing the Russians 
doing what they can to help the Russians um, acting in that way, because they could clearly see who is making the running in all of this, who is being the more aggressive party. The danger is that with all that happening, given the type of people the neocons are, that could make them even more determined to press forward. Yeah, they're not going to stop. I don't think any voting in the UN is going to stop them. Yeah. I think Europe has decided that it's ready to destroy itself for the sake of uh, of, of, of the globalist uh, neocon ideology, neoliberal ideology. I think the Europeans have already made up their mind. Schultz, Ursula, even Macron, Duda for sure. Uh, they're, they're, they're all in with, uh, with this Biden uh, conflict with Russia. Yeah. And uh, they, they they don't seem too concerned about about their their citizens and their countries. <laughs> that's, no. that's the way I'm looking at. No. They really are not no. No. Uh, very concerned. Um, come July, the the NATO meeting in middle in mid July, I think July 12th, they are going to have to make one of two decisions. I imagine either they're going to go down the path of World War III, or they're going to to find an off ramp. What what are the chances of of some people coming to their senses and choosing an off ramp? Well, I think the chances are getting greater because the risks are now becoming so great. And of course, we also have the real concern that the longer this goes on, the more the popular protests will grow. And you see that, by the way, even in the Politico article, that there's acceptance that, in fact, resistance is going to start increasing now, in Europe especially, I suspect, and before long in the United States as well. But, as I've said so many times, these people don't have reverse gear. The, the risk is that the US, Biden's team around him, will, on the contrary say that they will press the accelerator. And up to this point, Olaf Scholz has gone along with... Every, I mean, it has to be him, because it's not going to be Macron. I mean, that's absolutely obvious now. I mean, Macron says one thing one day, something else the next day, but in the end, he's always there for the ride. So the only country that can stop this is Germany. Now, in Germany, the political situation is, as we discussed in a recent programme, is becoming more and more unstable. And I think that there might be pressures on Scholz to start backing off. But I have to say, the countervailing pressures on him to continue to commit to this are, I suspect, for the moment at least, even stronger. So, to be frank, I, I, I don't see any good any good signs at the moment. I think what we'll have to see is we'll have to get past this meeting in Vilnius. We'll have to see what happens after this offensive runs its course. And then probably the Russians will launch their counteroffensive. Lots of people are talking about it. And then we'll see what, we, what they do and we'll see whether um, opposition in Europe finally starts to grow. And what happens at the United States? Let me make one final point uh, with all of this. I, I believe, actually, I'm, I'm pretty certain. I've been getting emails from uh, from viewers of this channel as well, in, in different countries, uh, that have told me the they've they've relayed to me the political climate in in their countries with this conflict with uh, with Russia, uh, EU EU countries, 
And uh, I'm under the, the impression that uh, the European Union leadership uh, across most parties uh, in, in various parliaments, they have bought into the propaganda that the Russian military is weak and the Russian military can easily be defeated. In much the same way that the entire collective West bought into the propaganda that the Russian economy is weak and the Russian economy can easily be defeated, can easily collapse. The country that, uh, the, masquer the, the, the gas station that masquerades as a country. I've gotten um, feedback from many uh, viewers from, uh, who, who, who reside in, in Sweden and, and Denmark, Norway, uh, Poland, Romania, and they've all told me the same thing, which is what I find most interesting. Most of the political class, almost all of the political class, with the exception of some outliers, for example, some outliers in Romania, for example, uh, most of the political class believes that Ukraine is winning the war, that Ukraine can win the war, and that the Russian military is second or third rate. They've actually bought into this, which is, which is why I believe that you're seeing a lot of the, the European uh, political elite and the political class, people like Baerbach and Habeck, itching for war, itching yes. for conflict. I mean, yes. it reminds me of the Munich Security Conference where yes. you say they were intoxicated with the idea of going to war with Russia. I think they're still intoxicated. They're yes. still drunk with this belief. And they've bought into the CNN articles, the New York Times articles, the Washington Post articles. They've bought into the propaganda in the same exact way that they brought, bought into the propaganda with the Russian economy. You're absolutely correct. Why I That's believe the Europeans yeah. are going to go all in on this because they think they can beat the Russians. I would completely agree with that. I mean, remember, the whole point about the... Munich Security Conference was about going to be sanctions. The overwhelming expectation at that point, and that was what was what they all thought, that the sanctions would finally break Russia, get rid of this terrible man Putin, solve the Russian problem as they saw it. I mean, I don't understand what the, why Russia is a problem for them, but anyway, this problem they've created for themselves with Russia, it would solve it once and for all. And, you know, they were... As you correctly said, they were intoxicated with it. Well, that didn't turn out right. Russia survived. And in fact, it's growing. Its economy is growing. It'll probably this year surpass its pre-sanctions levels of output, by the way. Just, 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 just to say in parenthesis. But anyway, um, so that didn't work out. So now they bought into the next myth which is that the Russian army is a load of crap, <laughs> that its armed soldiers are demoralised, that its equipment isn't up to anything much. Um, after all, they've had read endless articles about this, that this is what it's the articles are telling them. Now, Millie's lecture, if I come back to it, is to some extent trying to push back on this. He's trying to say, look, this isn't quite what you think. This country is a superpower. <laughs> its military is, to, is a military you should take very seriously. General Cavalli, the, uh, NATO, the, the US commander of NATO forces in Europe, was saying the, exactly the same thing to Congress. So again, you have the experts trying to tell these people it's not as simple as you think. They didn't listen to the experts over the Russian economy. They didn't listen to the experts about, you know, don't freeze the 
central bank's reserves. It won't be so easy to do to do away with Russian gas and oil. Uh, um, the sanctions could backfire. In fact, they froze out the experts. They ended up making decisions without consulting the experts when the decision was made to freeze the Russian central bank's reserves. The Federal Reserve Board in the United States was not informed about it in advance. And I get the sense, I get this terrible sense of deja vu. They are not listening to the only experts who matter in this, who are the experts who understand war, the military themselves. They're not paying any attention because, as you absolutely rightly said, they believe this propaganda that they've been telling themselves. So they, they've seen that, you know, they, they've persuaded themselves that Ukraine has won great victories over the Russians. The offensive isn't going well, but they will probably rationalise that in some way. And they'll say, well, if, you know, if Ukraine was able to hold back the Russians so successfully, all we need to do is to go into Ukraine and we can take on the Russians and we can win and it'll be very easy. And the whole thing is a military house of cards this time and it will fall apart that way. So that that's, that's I'm, I'm sorry to say, I think that is true. They rationalized uh, Bakhmut. Yeah. The defeat in Bakhmut, they rationalized that one. So they'll rationalize the, the, the counteroffensive oh, as yes. well. They'll, they'll rationalize, yes. rationalize it all. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They've made their decision. In, inside, inside their puny little minds, they've made the decision yes. to take us to the conflict, unfortunately. Unfortunately. I'm afraid. I, I, I hope that in NATO, at the, yeah, I hope that in the conference, something happens where they pull back. That's what I hope. Well, there will be people who, who will be people there who will, who are there who will probably push, try to push back. And Orban will be there. You can't exclude him. Erdogan will be there as well. Erdogan understands this. He understands the Russians a lot better, it seems to me, than any other European leader does, apart from perhaps from Orban. But you know, those are just two voices, and. I don't get the sense that Biden pays much attention to them, and I don't get the sense that they pay much attention. They pay much attention to what Orban and Erdogan are saying. So, you know, I'm afraid you're right. Now, I have to say this. I do also get the sense that there is growing unease amongst European electorates. I mean, we're, we're starting to see parties like Vox rising in Spain. And, you know, I, I'm not placing any value on what Vox does, because we saw what happened with Maloney in Italy, that, you know, everybody, lots of people thought that she would try to modify the policy, and she turned out to be exactly the same. But we're seeing rise in parties like that, we're seeing rise in parties like that in Austria, in all sorts of places. And, of course, nothing galvanises publics and electorates more powerfully than war and peace. We saw that in 2003 over the Iraq protests. So it could be. I mean, it, it, I'm just, you know, I'm clutching at straws here. I don't say this is definitely going to happen. But it could be that as we hurtle towards conflict, you will start to see Western electorates, and I don't just mean electorates in Europe, but also in the United States, start to push back. Let's see. All right, we will end it there, thedurand.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, and Rockfin, and go to the Durand shop, 10% off. Use the code, good day.